So, this is a totally different kind of radio, because I am really traveling now, you all. I'm actually getting ready to go get on an aeroplane. The lovely experience that we all have now when we're traveling, and um, we have to fill out form after form after form, and COVID test after COVID this and COVID that, and then we don't even know off the top of our heads whether we've done it all right or not. We don't even know whether we've filled out all the right forms. And along with all of the other hassle that comes with flying, you know, all of this other stuff gets mixed in. Flying for me, I fly all the time. I travel a lot. But it's still one of the most stressful things in my life. And everyone that knows me knows I'm just really, really bad at flying. I'm just not good at it. I just don't do it well. And because I get stressed, because I forget where things are and forget where I put things. And so um, it's not my, it's not my best skill. And now you add all of this, oh, you're transiting through here. So you're going to need this paper, or you're going to need this test, or you're going to need to um, prove that your firstborn male child's name is uh, Buddy, all of the things that the questions that they ask you, some of which you just really don't know. But anyway, flying is what I'm doing today. But right now, I'm still at my mom's house and I'm walking around. Uh, It's a mess because, as I said, we're closing it down, selling the old place. Um, Eventually, it's a lot more work emptying out a place where someone has lived for 60, 70, 80 years. It's a lot more work than you realize. And I'm moving through the rooms, so probably the the actual background noises and the sounds are a little bit differently. Now I'm in what uh, used to be my mom's bedroom, and then was this was my parents' bedroom, and then it was my... Uh, older sister's bedroom and then when my family and I moved here we took this over and it became my daughter's bedroom and this is the room in an earlier podcast I told you about how I found out how some of my dad's uh, I don't know shade tree carpentry you want to call it that was pretty interesting we found out that he used several different sizes of sheetrock and I found his handwriting on the wall underneath some wallpaper and just literally stood there and and stared at his handwriting because it had been so long since i seen it. And this room has a, see if I can get you to hear the sound. I hope you can hear that. These were all the rage back in the day. It's a ceiling fan. It's a ceiling fan that uh, either my dad or myself installed. I can't remember, but it's a ceiling fan. (laughs) You know, we had those all over the house. When I moved in here, this house had no air conditioning. Eventually, my parents put in room air conditioners. And then at the end of my dad's life and toward the end of uh, his life, when he needed to be more comfortable, they put in central air conditioning and it didn't really work. As was often the case with uh, places like this one, uh, neighborhoods like this, when we got um, some guy that we knew, some local dude, did the air conditioning, so it didn't work for shit. 
<laughs> it didn't work. It didn't, it didn't, I'm in the upstairs now. I've walked upstairs and now I'm in what uh, used to be called, well, it is, it's an attic and it's a relatively, you know, it's a relatively attic space. Lots of, we've got most of the junk out here, but at one time it used to hold a lot of stuff. I mean, there used to be a lot of stuff in here and, and it also held, um, the occasional brown recluse spider, which made things quite interesting as we dug things out. And all of my mom's uh, Christmas stuff is here. And my mom, when my mom did Christmas, man, my mom did Christmas. And the thing is with Christmas in this house, and I'm looking at all her Christmas stuff up here, um, she, Christmas happened in one night. On December 23rd, there were some outdoor lights. We had hung up some outdoor Christmas lights. But there was nothing going on inside the house. But um, when we woke up on Christmas morning, there was a literal Christmas explosion. There was a train garden. There were trees. There were uh, windows decorated, inside decorations, toys Santa Claus had come, the, the entire house, in one night, my parents turned it into a Christmas wonderland. It was just the way they did it, that Christmas was delivered by Santa Claus and his elves, and we went from zero to 120 miles an hour Christmas in one single night. They did it. And it was incredible to see. And uh, it just brings back such incredible memories to see the stuff that she she has up here. I mean, we haven't, or no one's decorated for Christmas around this house in a long time because mom was living with my sisters and um, at the end of her life. And we took, we took her Christmas stuff over there and put it in her room, but of course it wasn't the same. It was never the same. Um, you just can't, you know, you, you try really hard. I mean, I tried really hard. I think some people are good at it. I'm not. I was not good at carrying on my family's Christmas traditions with my own kids. My dad would set up a train garden in the corner over there, back down in the living room now. He would set up a train garden over there in the corner and, um, Again, this happened on Christmas Eve while we were asleep in our beds with visions of sugar plums, whatever the hell they are, dancing in our heads. And uh, so over there where the tree would be, underneath the tree, the tree sitting in a Maxwell House coffee can, sometimes covered with tin foil sometimes, or aluminum foil, whatever you call it, sometimes covered with Christmas paper, it would be in the middle of the train garden, which was just a simple oval on a piece of plywood with some two bys underneath of it. And uh, dad had, he had um, painted the whole thing green, some sickly green paint that he had around somewhere because he was not going to buy any new paint, that was for damn sure. And then painted some black roads and then put some Lionel train track, the big ones, I'm not familiar with the gauges, but he would put the big ones around and that would be our, oh, that sound you hear there, that sound you hear, 
And that's the sound, of course, of an electric space heater keeping this old joint warm while I'm still here. And he would uh, put the, and he put um, holes in and then put Christmas lights up through the holes, big, the big Christmas lights. No little LEDs, no little small twinkly Christmas lights, the big ones. And that's where you would put the houses, you know, the plastic houses that go with the train garden. And so the thing was, of course, those, um, those lights get pretty warm. So we had a lot of semi-melted Christmas houses on our train garden. And he would set up the trains and that smell, you know, that electric smell, I guess it's ozone, when he would hook up that transformer and those first trains would just start going, man. It was, that smell connects me to Christmas like tangerines do to some people or the smell of pine or whatever. And uh, so we had, um, we had some houses and we had cars and animals, farms. and he had, Oh, he put a mirror, a round kind of oval-shaped mirror in the middle. That was the lake. And the whole thing was sprayed with that probably toxic you know, spray snow <laughs> they put on everything. And so then we had different uh, cars and animals and for different play sets. So you had some interesting scale things going on. You would have a herd of sheep that were as big as a Buick parked in some Christmas garden driveway. So you had that going on. And it was absolutely beautiful. This was not some organized train display this was not some this is going through that tunnel there was a tunnel there was some sort of fiberglass tunnel the train always got stuck in that and wound up getting stuck behind the christmas tree but this was not some fancy organized kind of thing this was you know this was just dad dad at his best and um i I loved it i loved it and i used to you know of course being a boy i would try to see how fast I could get the train to go before it would jump the track. As I said, usually behind the tree, which was already wired up to a nail in the corner because the coffee can's not going to hold up a Christmas tree. And uh, the train was, and see how fast it would go. It would jump the track. Someone would have to crawl back there and get it. And then, of course, you know, Christmas is exciting, but it can get boring after a while. So the next step is to see which of the animals or cars or whatever the um the train the tra- how, which one can the train can, the, can can they push off yeah how fast does it have to go how fast can they push it off can they keep on going are they going to jump the track it was all just part of christmas in the house here and um so funny that's a that's a big screen tv now it's not a modern one and it's not a particularly fancy one but i think this one came around as mom was getting more and more ill and spent more of her time here in the living room on the couch and she watched um she watched tv here a lot my mom watched law and order boom boom ba, ba, da, ba, ba. every single episode of law and order my mother has seen and um one of the weird sonic things about being in the house this time is that there was no Law and Order playing, and my mom would have Law and Order playing often on three, four, 
TVs at one time. She would just have them playing. Uh, Law and Order was played a lot in this house. And she knew, she loved all the shows, all of them. All of the different branches of Law and Order my mom listened to. I'm going to go down the basement here. Now, this was my domain when I was a kid. This is the rock and roll basement. This is where I had band practice. This is where my bands would come and rehearse. And then I ha- built a little kind of enclave apartment back there in the corner. Actually, no, that's not true. What happened was, oh, I want you to hear this because this is kind of part of the house too. There are two machines running here. Here's one. That, of course, is the clothes dryer and the furnace just turned off. Our furnace is a beast. This furnace is so old. This furnace has been in the house since the house was built. And again, that's over maybe 70 years ago. This is, that's how long this furnace has been here. Um, and the thing is, it's so old that the last guy that worked on it, when I was living here, and it, this was sort of my place with my family, the last guy that worked on it told me that that would be the last time anybody could work on it because he actually had to get some parts, purloined parts from another old one that had been around, but there were no more new parts to be found. No more new parts to be found for that one. So I'm down in the basement. This is where we had band practice. And as I was saying, there was an apartment down here. It's an interesting thing about family homes from the era that I grew up. I don't know if it still goes on. really don't know. But um, my sister... And her husband, they got married young, very young, teenagers. And they didn't really have a place. They didn't have a place of their own. So my dad put together another one of his William R. Weaver Sr. special um, apartments down here, which essentially meant he split the room in half, put a door over there, put some shag carpet down, which is gleefully gone, and more wood paneling, more of that nice wood grain paneling, and uh, made them a little apartment back there. Now, I was a little bit annoyed by that, I'm not gonna lie, because this had been my domain. This had been my band practice room and my room that I came down to, and then when my sister and her husband had an apartment down there, I had to split the room in half. And uh, so I was a little annoyed by that, but then it turned out okay, because that wound up being my apartment after a while. And, um, after a while, I stayed down here, had band practice, and just kind of slept over there. The interesting thing about this is I just came down the steps. You heard me come down the steps. And these steps that I came down, again, they didn't used to be here. This was not a stairway. What this was, was a closet. This was an upstairs closet. To get down to the basement, you had to go to the outside of the house. It had an outdoor cellarway. And... You had to go outside and lift the cellarway door and come down to the cellar. It was a cellar. It wasn't a finished basement. It was just a cellar where we had, you know, the washing machine and sanitary tubs and all that stuff. So my dad wanted to make it easier to, for my mom to get down and come to the washing machine and do this and do that. So he literally took the floor out between the living room there and the dining room over there. He cut out a piece of the floor. I'm sitting here looking at where he made the cut. He cut out of a piece of the floor and he got a pre-made set of steps. 
and this used to be a coat closet that I'm standing in, and he got a pre-made set of steps, cut the floor, got the steps to come down to the basement floor almost. They didn't quite make it, so he had to fashion out a landing here, a little landing, and then two more steps down, and those became the steps down to the Weaver family basement. Now, you have to understand that this was not designed to be this way. So the scale of, or the, what's it called? Um, the angle, maybe? Or the percentage of grade on these steps is bizarre. You cannot quite figure out why, but when you walk up and down these steps, it doesn't feel anything like any steps you've ever been on. It's kind of like a fun house kind of thing. You feel, I don't know, like you're going to fall all the time, whether you're coming up or down, because it's just a weird gradient that he has going on here. Again, it's not a, it was not supposed to be this way. So from the floor down to the basement floor, um, it's weird. And I'm standing here, actually, and I'm not going to lie to you, I'm standing here getting a little misty-eyed because we were talking about my dad's uh, handwriting. And here, standing on these basement steps, I'm noticing for the very first time that my dad, this, this uh, pre-made set of whatever it is he got, he needed to measure something. And he wrote in his rather distinctive handwriting, three and three quarters on, on one of the step treads. And... Um, then when he put it in here, he stained it all with some sort of wood stain. Again, something he had around the house. And the wood stain that he used did not cover his, uh, his handwriting. So you can see very clearly on that step, three and three quarters. Um, I hate to see the place. It's very dusty here now. It's very, um, you know, no one's lived here really consistently for a while. And I kind of hate to see it being so dusty and stuff laying around, stuff on the steps and being tracked in and out because my mom was meticulous not not a neat freak but she kept her place nice and i hate kind of seeing it be you know it's at the end of its life i mean if a if a house has a life this is this house is at the end of its life of its long life noble life good life uh, a, a life that nurtured a lot of kids and nurtured family and nurtured friends and was home to pizza parties and, you know, kids stuffing themselves with pizza and potato chips and stuff. And even though I came up in the 60s and my dad liked to have a beer now and then, my mom was a teetotaler. She never had a drink in her life. She had an Irish background and an alcoholic father and she said she'd had enough alcohol in her life, so she didn't drink. My dad liked to have a beer now and then, but my dad... It was a very, very rare occasion that my dad would drink in front of his kids. Very rare. Um, my dad was not going to drink in front of his kids. So that was reserved for when we had kids parties. It was a kid's birthday party. These days, you know, you go to a kid's birthday party and it seems almost more like it's a party for the, for the adults than it is for the kids. There's beer and this and that going on and maybe they've hired a DJ playing music that none of the kids are interested in, but the parents really like it. So 
You know, that's what's going on with that. And But we never did that here. You know, a kid's party was a kid's party. There was pizza, and there was birthday cake, and there was ice cream, and there was potato chips and pretzels, and there was cola. There was no alcohol being served at a kid's birthday party. It just didn't happen. If we had a couple of beers around here, or if Dad did, it was when we had steamed crabs when we went out crabbing or fishing. and um, Or we, on a very rare occasion, had to buy some, some steamed crabs for a party. Dad would have a, a bottle or two of beer. He kept his drinking out of the house. I don't know why. No one ever made him do it. It was just a thing that he did. So, And so I'm not very much, even though I like a glass of wine, I'm not very much of an at-home drinker. I will have wine with dinner, but um, I'm not much of an at-home drinker. I'm outside now, in case you can't tell. I'm walking around my, my backyard. This, this is going to be the hard part, giving up this this backyard it's big my parents were what do they used to call it my parents were land money poor land rich i don't remember we have a lot of property here a lot of property and it's not waterfront property because there's property in between our property and the water down there but it's water view property and it's fabulous you know i'm standing here looking down on uh, what's called Cox Creek, a cove in off Cox Creek. Cox Creek, very shortly when you get out of the creek here, um, goes into the Magothy River, and the Magothy River goes into the Chesapeake Bay. With a halfway decent boat, I can be out of the Chesapeake Bay here in 35 minutes, maybe, maybe less. Um, and this, this will be the hard part to let go. This will be the hard part that when I travel around and I get back to this area, that I can't come and walk back here. I can't come walk back over there where a couple of my good old dogs are buried in a little pet cemetery that we had here. That that somewhere right about where I'm standing, it used to be our old swing set. And somewhere right in the same area where there was a lot of sand, um, that's where I used to play with my army men and cowboys and Indians, the little, you know, plastic figurines. I'm sure that if you took a shovel and you dug not so very deeply here, you would find, you know, some of my old cowboys or, or uh, khaki army men here. Probably all faded away to something, but that was, you know, that was a big part of my life, playing out here in this yard coming out here and discovering nature, digging into anthills and watching all the ants scurry away and trying to figure out how that all worked. Um, I was a typical kid. There was absolutely nothing extraordinary about me. I was, what was it, what did they say? I was a mile wide, an inch deep. I loved to find out about a lot of stuff, but I never researched anything too deeply, you know? I just jumped on to the next thing. The only things that ever really held my interest were radio, music, and literature. I'm not even a big movie buff. I like going to the movies. They're okay. I mean, a good movie. Uh, I love going to a good film with my son now. My dad and I, one of the things that we bonded over over the years 
were the Rocky movies. <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> the S Sylvester Stallone Rocky movies. We, um, we used to go see those together. Or when they finally came on cable, we would always watch those together. No matter how miserable they became in the middle there, um, we always watched them together. It was something that we just shared. It was that. And my son and I, well, I have to be honest here, I make the excuse that I'm going to see the superhero movies because I want to take my son to enjoy the superhero movies. Now, my son is in his 20s. I don't think he really needs me to take him to the superhero movies, but I say that I'm going to the superhero movies only because I, I want to take my son. I myself have no personal interest in the new Spider-Man movie or the new Batman movie or any of those sort of things. Of course, I'm a grown man. I don't want to see that stuff. No, that's, you know what? I just remembered something. I just remembered something. That's one of the fun things about this enterprise. I just remembered something. I used to like comic books a lot, too. I used to like comic books a lot. I watched a lot. Of, I mean, watched. I read a lot of comic books. And um, somewhere around here, one time or another, I probably had a box of comic books that were worth a little bit of money because I got them when they came out because a friend of mine's dad had a store and he'd always put back a few, make sure that I bought them when they came in. Now, as I said, we've got Waterview property here. The, the, uh, the water, the edge of the cove. You can't, the kids are playing in the distance. I love that. I love to hear kids playing back in the woods there. I love it. And I know it's wood, back in the wood. When I say woods, I don't say forest. It's not a forest. It's just the woods. I love to hear them playing. I love it. I love it because it flies right in the face of all these people that are constantly saying the kids these days don't play outside. They're only on their phones. They don't do this. They don't do that. You know what? Kids these days, they're on their phones. I'm on my phone right now talking to you on my phone. Kids these days, they're probably on their phones too much. I don't know. But I'll tell you this. These kids are out here on mountain bikes. And they're riding mountain bikes back here in the woods behind my parents' house. And I love seeing it because they still do those kind of things. These parents or pundits or whatever you want to call them, these pundits that say, oh, you know, kids these days and this technology. Can I tell you something? Had this technology been available when I was a kid, I'd have been all over it. Because just like any other kid of any other generation, when the new technology comes out, you want it. Our ancestors wanted radio, and they wanted crystal sets, and they wanted walkie-talkies, and they wanted CB radios, and they wanted photographs, and then they wanted portable photographs, and then they wanted tape decks, and they wanted cassette decks, and they want, yeah. And had this particular bit of technology that I'm talking to you on right now been available when I was a kid? I'd have been all over this thing. So let's, let's try not to go there. I mean, I, this whole kids these days, I really find it amusing, especially from some of the people that I grew up with, like Bobby and Chuck. And they were like, oh, these kids, come on, man. Come on. I was with you, remember? I was there. I was there when we waited for the beer to be delivered at Ollie's. And we knew that the beer would sit outside, especially if it came on the weekend, and we would sneak around and grab a six-pack. I was there. 
I was there when a lot of these things happened. When you got a few too many in you at the um, senior prom and wound up taking a dive in the hotel fountain. I was exactly right there. So this whole kids these days thing. Come on, we were those kids. We were those kids. Oh, you know, but we had respect. Yeah, in a, in a way, we did. We had our own kind of respect. But we ran from the police. We hid from the police. We, you know, we did things that the police or our parents or our teachers shouldn't know about. We just, for the most part, were fortunate enough not to get caught. Yeah, kids these days. I say, you know, let them be well-rounded. My son... He can walk and talk a computer and a video game and a, a d- whatever it is he does, build servers and all that stuff. And he made it his work. He's made it part of his life with his music. And he also is an avid scuba diver. He can ski. He's in great physical condition. And just let them do what they do. Man. Don't, you know, just your rules don't apply. Just like... Your parents' rules didn't apply to you. And their parents' rules didn't apply when they wanted to only shoot Elvis from the waist up. Things change. The world changes. And amazingly enough, it tends to find its static point. It tends to find its point once again. And things go back to whatever the new normal is. Now, I'm recording this, of course. After, during, we are all experiencing a global pandemic. Things are changing, no question. But we will adapt. We always do. This old house and this old yard, man, (laughs) it's going to be hard to let it go. I have to fly back to Denmark today, go through Dulles Airport, which is at least the worst airport in the history of the planet. I got to go through there and then to London Heathrow, which is a better airport but given the way travel is these days i have a jolly six hour layover in dulles i'm sorry in Heathrow. so i'll figure out something to do but it's just hard to to let it go as much as i'm excited about getting back home and being in my own house and seeing my dog and all that family and it it's just you know i think i don't remember who it is I think it was Liam Neeson, maybe, the actor, who was Irish, right? It's like when you move away, like I've done, and I moved away from my home here in the U.S., when I live overseas, you, you have a sense of rootlessness. You have a sense of one foot being in one place and one foot being in the other place. You have a sense of there always being empty seats at the table. Because everybody you love is not there. You know, somebody is somewhere else. My daughter, Sandy, lives in Nashville. She is very rarely to almost never these days at my table, unless I go visit her. My mom went through countless Thanksgivings and Christmases and holidays without me being at her table, and she was not at mine. And you're trying to make up uh, this situation where... You know, you make a phone call, you talk to each other, and you make it as good as you can. Every, these days now, of course, you can hold up the phone and everybody can see you. You can talk to them, they can talk to you. But that doesn't really cut it, man. Come on. 
it's not the same. It's not the same as sitting around there after dinner, after all the toys are opened and talking and arguing and discussing politics or property or kids or whatever. But you make the best of it. You make the best of it. We had a very small New Year's Eve in Denmark this year. Just me, my wife, and my son and my daughter. We didn't have a big party we had planned on doing, but, you know, COVID, it just wiped everything out. So it was just the four of us. It was very, very cozy. It was very, very pleasant, very nice. But there's always that sense of, ah, if just that one more thing was here. I don't know if you could tell, if you could tell, but I'm now walking in the little woods I told you about. I'm walking down toward the water. These kids have been riding their bikes back here. They have really been been riding them up. And I'm glad to see it. I'm glad to see the old paths back here through the woods coming back to life. And glad to see kids being back here again for a while. Um, it kind of gotten, it kind of gotten a little overgrown. The kids weren't coming back here so much, but there seems to be a new generation of, of youngsters, young kids that are coming back here and, and uh, using it. That's a good thing. Now, you're always going to have, because you know this, any neighborhood that you're in, you're always going to have those bitchy neighbors on either side. They're going to say the kids shouldn't be back here and they shouldn't be doing this, they shouldn't be doing that. And you know what? What the hell, man? They're kids. They should be back here. They should be exploring back here. They should be coming back here to ride their bikes and play army if kids still do that. I don't even know. I don't even know if that's politically correct. I have no idea. Play army, come back here, ride their bikes, and, um, you know, maybe build an underground fort. Now, have any of y'all ever done that particular bit of insanity? Built an underground fort, literally dug a trench. Oh, wow, the tide is really out today. I just got down to the cove. I just got down to the... The tide is really out today. I'd say it's good six, seven, eight feet away from where it normally is on the shoreline. You can see all the submerged trees. You can see the tires that people have thrown in here. And there's somebody's old soccer ball down there. Um, if it was the right season, it was the right time of year. It's, a, it's too cold now, but it was the right time of year. You'd be able to see the soft crabs. I'm sorry, the, the shells, the sloughs left behind by the crabs when they come in up under the the wood up under the trees and the falling down stuff and the flotsam and jetsam to shed their shell and stay up here and be safe for a little while. There's an old tire that's been there for a long time. That old tire's been there for a long time. I probably lost a lot of hooks and sinkers and bobbers to that old tire down here fishing for yellow perch and white perch and sometimes catfish and sometimes pike when they came up here. And yeah, I used to walk every day I used to come down here just about every day and go soft grabbing. I would have my net and a little basket with me. Can you hear that? I would have my net and my little basket with me and I'd walk along the edge here, about a foot, two feet of water, and stick my net the handle of my net underneath the, 
log or underneath a whatever was there, tire, old bike, to see if I could flush out a soft crab. And I usually did pretty good. I would catch enough that I did pretty good. You know, it was a good place to come down here. And we had enough soft crabs that mom, I would actually bring them up and I would clean them. And we, we had some in the freezer pretty much all the time. I'm a river rat, man. I tell people that I'm just, I am of this river. So I had to take a little break there. I hope I can get these two pieces together decently. But I had to take a little break there because you know what? I was walking back there by the, the water. And somebody, as I was coming back up, I noticed someone had put a no trespassing sign on one of the trees. It's like, how can you put a no trespassing sign up on my house, on my property? I don't know who you are, and I don't know who, you, who did it, but you're not allowed to put no trespassing signs on my property, man. So it's cool. Uh-oh. And neighbor's dogs. And I'm not saying, yes, I am. I'm not saying that my neighbors were like the bumpuses in Gene Shepard's Great Christmas Story, but they are. So, uh, those dogs, uh, they, yeah. My next door neighbors, it is one of the funniest things that literally, you know, with having that, that antecedent, having Gene tell that great story and have it in a Christmas story about his next door neighbors, his hillbilly next door neighbors. And listen, I'm pure West Virginia through and through, but these people have come down here to our little uh, second street and turned it into a modern day version of the Bumpuses. They have got four wheelers. They have got a trailer. They've got another trailer. They've got five or six of these great big trucks that everybody drives these days. And they're all just parked all around the place, man. So, yeah, and they got dogs. They got dogs that bark. And they attack the fence. And when they're inside the house and the folks that are at work all day, I don't even know how many set of mini blinds that one dog over there has destroyed looking out that window, seeing me in my window... And trying to um, to attack me, I guess, for, uh, through two win- windows and about twelve feet between each other. But hey, <laughs> so it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. I mean, they're they're nice young people. They've got young kids. It's probably their kids that are playing back in the woods right now. And it's better than the people that we grew up next door. My gosh, we grew up next door to the talents. The talents were old. When I was a kid, they were probably my age now, but they were old, old people. And they didn't like kids. They didn't like children. When we, f- we first were young here, first came to this house when we were kids, Mrs. Talent came out and told my mother that it would be okay if the kids played outside, but she would prefer that they play on the other side of the yard so she didn't have to listen to us play. And now my mother, being my mother, she set up a series of foot races on this side of the house 
in between the two houses, right next door to old lady, old lady Talent's window. And she invited every neighborhood kid, had foot races, had Coke, had iced tea, gave out prizes. And we played out there and we yelled. And she encouraged us to scream as loud as we could because that's what my mother did. That's who my mother was. Yeah, they were never exactly friendly. They were just grumpy old people, grumpy old people. And my mom was a young mom. She could have used some help. Now, the rest of the neighbors were great. You know, my parents had friends all throughout the neighborhood. And so lots of young families with young children. And uh, kids were all friends. We all went to school together. We all stood at the bus stop together and uh, went through all the changes you go through where, you know, when you're eight, nine, seven years old, you're really tight with somebody. And then when you get a little older, their interests are different than yours. They move off in their direction. And, you know, you bump into each other. You see each other around town, around the little village, around whatever, around the neighborhood in school. But, you know, you smile, you're friendly. But it's just not the same. You know, you just don't have that tightness. You just don't have that thing that you used to have. And you might be a little wistful for it. You might think of the day that you guys played, you know, army in the backyard or, you know, played catch or whatever. But, you know, that was then. The world moves on as it should. Things change as they should. I do these things to keep them fresh for me and for you. And I talk about these things not because nostalgia is any better than what's happening right now in my mind. I think things should move on. I think things should change. I think that it's very important that we understand that things are going to be different but I also think it's important to remember where we come from, remember who we are. And uh, if these little oral histories will bring, jog a memory or put something back in your head, I'm grateful for that. But I don't ever want you to get the impression that I'm a, oh, things were better back then kind of guy. I'm just not. Things were good. There were some things that were very, very good. And then, as I mentioned, you know, we grew up here in the 60s. But this was not one of those you know, 60s kind of houses in the sense that there was not a lot of drugs happening here. Oh, they were happening in the neighborhood, and there were a few of us that smoked a little weed now and then as the years went on, but during the days in this house, it was kid stuff, pizza parties, and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you know, the fact that we have this huge problem with opiate abuse and stuff like that. Well, I grew up with kids that died of heroin abuse and I grew up with kids that you know fried their brains on whatever chemical was going on at the time speed kills remember that one but so I'm not going to go back on the oh it sure was better than things were better for some people things were worse for some people I'm sure that you know a lot of my friends would say that oh life was perfect back then but I tend to have a little bit more wider view in a way and go, I don't know, perfect, that's a stretch. Did I have a good childhood? I had a fabulous childhood. I had a fabulous childhood. But did I have problems? Sure, sure. Am I glad to see these kids out here on their bikes and their parents are next door, they're engaged, they, they, they have things for them to do and stuff? Yeah. The more things change, the more they remain the same. But the fact is, 
better, worse. I'm not going to make that value judgment. I'm not going to do that. It doesn't work for me because I think that I think the world needs to move on. You have to admit, whether you want to or not, that for certain classes of people, for certain people that you know, women, people of color, other different groups, life these days, probably a little bit better, although we have a long way to go, but it's probably better in a lot of ways for those folks than it was when, when it was when I grew up. I'm old enough to remember going to certain places and seeing signs advising certain groups that's probably better if they weren't in town after dark. I'm literally old enough to remember that. So I'm not much on the, oh, you know, the good old days. They were good and they were old. But these are the good old days. I think it was Billy Joel. Billy Joel wrote the great line in his song, Summer Highland Falls. They say that these are not the best of times, but they're the only times I've ever known. Isn't that true? Yeah, we got a lot of stuff going on, man. We got a pandemic going on. We got a country that can't seem to agree on anything. We got Russian saber rattling. What the hell's up with that? I thought we were over with that a long time ago. I thought that was done a long time ago. I thought the whole discussion of race was done a long time ago. I thought a lot of this stuff was done. So we always have things to work on. But the more we talk about what's happening right now, is, and that, that tosses me back to that whole good old days thing, man. Russian saber rattling, yep, yep. Conversations about race, yep. Happening all when I was a teenager. And here I am, 66. So... We have our conversations to have, but you know what? Fundamentally, I believe that we are good, smart people and we can figure this out if we just get over this cranial rectum situation that we all get into every once in a while. I think that being in this old house reminds me of so much just reminds me of so much and it helps me kind of focus that that's the space heater I'm going to turn that off helps me focus those thoughts about the good old days you know it helps me do that because I love this old house and I loved my days here but I loved my days in Virginia when I was on the radio when my first daughter was born and I was barely making enough money to buy her a coloring book. I loved those days. I loved being on the radio. I loved it. I loved, you know, being in my first rock and roll band, traveling around the world. Not around the world. Come on, Ray. You were traveling around the East Coast of the United States and um, driving up and down the highways and byways and listening to late night radio and discovering... Gene Shepard and discovering all the great late night disc jockeys and just, you know, radio announcers. And also getting my first taste of fire and brimstone, conspiracy theory, thousand watt cornfield, UFO kind of stuff. And going, wow, wow, I didn't even know that people really thought like that. 
And amazingly enough, they did. And amazingly enough, they had an audience. And amazingly enough, as the years went on, I started to realize how many folks out there in the middle of what people call the flyover states had a rather interesting perspective on things. You began to understand with cable television and CB radios, and you could hear that chatter blending in with those little radio stations. You were going, okay, they're connected. They are people. They have sort of a constituency. And then the internet. And then they found each other. And each group started connecting with its own group and connecting up in their echo chamber. And you were like, wow. At least I was. I was like, there are really people who seem to believe that the earth is flat. I have to pause there because there are really people who seem to believe that the earth is flat. There are really people who will post the same photographs that are from the 70s and 80s, some as far back as the 60s, of discontinued military ordnance and show it as absolute 100% proof that there's a major military thing, buildup, about to happen in North Mudflap, Alabama. That the government is getting ready and here's the proof, here are the planes, here are the tanks. No, here's a bunch of pictures of stuff that's been decommissioned a long time ago. If there is a problem in my mind that maybe wasn't so prevalent, that didn't exist so much back in the day, is that we have seemed to lose our ability to discern fact from fiction. And the people that perpetrate the fictions, and I'm not choosing sides here because there's fictions being perpetrated on either side, they can come up with something to prove their point and in a matter of seconds have a couple of hundred thousand people that believe in them. That's a frightening thing. It's a frightening thing to me that I can go on my computer right now. I'm pretty adept at this kind of stuff. I can put together a good two or three seven-minute video with a voiceover with my authoritative voice, make up a script, make it look good, make it sound good, put it out there, and people will believe it. That is something here in the good new days that we need to work on. That's something that we need to think about because 
that connection as we all stay in our silos, as we stay in our bubbles, as we stay in our echo chambers, and we only ever listen to other people who think like we do, that to me is something we need to work on so we can get back to standing across the back fence and saying to our neighbor with a Goldwater sign in his yard when my dad was you know, the chairman or whatever they called it of the local Democratic Party. And they're just standing back behind the fence there, across the fence, having a cold beer and talking to one another. That's what they did. And they weren't in a silo. They weren't in a silo. They were in a neighborhood and in a backyard and they were friends, good friends. And they talked about it. There was no anger. No vitriol. I mean, you know, there was some pretty serious political discussions in this house. But nobody got mad. Nobody yelled at each other. Nobody called each other names. No one threatened each other. There's a bunch of men sitting around the table playing penny ante poker, playing, you know, uh, five card draw, just playing poker and penny ante and discussing the things of the day. My dad wasn't a particularly what I would call liberal guy, but my dad was a Democrat. In those days, that was the working man's party. My dad was a working man, full stop. My dad was a union man. That's what he believed in. That was his things. So he had conversations with guys who didn't feel the same way that he felt, right here at this table. Because this is a conservative neighborhood here. Always has been. So even though my dad was not what I would call liberal, he was an anomaly here. And my mom was also a Democrat, it's kind of like in those days, you know, you didn't see a whole lot of divided households, let's put it that way. So, but, but it was just conversation, you know? It was, it was because fundamentally, I know, I don't believe, I know that both sides had the good of the country in their ideas. They believed in the good for everybody. They just thought that their philosophies were the best philosophies. I don't know. I mean, I, I, it was just, just a different world. So I'm walking through the kitchen. I'm going to wrap this up soon. I have to go catch an airplane. But I have to tell you about this doorway right here. See, this is a doorway right here. Now, this doorway goes out to that back porch that I've told you guys before that my dad put onto the house that became the back this. We, this back porch, when my family moved in here, my family, when I mean my wife and my children, when we moved in this house and took it over for a while, we made my mom a little apartment out here on the back porch, nice little space for her to be, right connected to the kitchen, very close to the bathroom. And I, I've told you a lot about my dad's carpentry skills. I put this door way, I put this door in here. I put this door in here. And... Um, Went up to, you know, it's one of those prefab doors. Went up to Home Depot or one of those places, got me this prefab door. Already, door already hung on the hinge and everything. Put it in. Put this door in for my mom. And in the tradition of my dad and his great carpentry abilities, I hung the door upside down. <laughs> yeah, I originally put the door. The door was... Uh, it's kind of working now, 
but I originally put the hinges on the right side as I'm facing the door and put the door in upside down. I'm not quite sure how I did that. I'm not quite sure how I could do something so creatively hard to mess up and then really hard to fix. Because over here on this side, there are still the spaces where I hung the hinges on the wrong side of the door and put the door in upside down. And the door has never exactly closed properly because even when I flipped it around, it wasn't perfect. But what is perfect? Is there ever anything perfect? And it just adds the charm of the old place and gives me another story I can tell you guys. So that's radio for this trip. I'm going to try to put this all together while I'm flying on the aeroplane. Uh, going through several airports. I'm going to try to put this all together and have it for you as soon as possible. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. Remember, radio is a podcast. It's also a broadcast, so lots of people hearing it in different places, but Ray Weaver is on the internet. My music is available at all the usual music joints. My um, stuff is available as a podcast. My books are available at Amazon. My name is Ray Weaver. The book is called A Father's Heart. New book on the way, new music on the way. Please, if you're listening to this somewhere, rate it, review it, tell your friends, and enjoy yourself. I'm Ray Weaver, and this has been Radio.